Hi, friends of the pod. A quick programming note. Women Transcend is currently running a Kickstarter campaign to raise some money so we can launch our season two, hopefully in September. We ran 26 weekly episodes in season one. We hope you enjoyed them. We would really appreciate if you would consider helping us to deliver season two, which we hope will be even more provocative and impactful with your help. If you're interested in helping us out, go to our webpage, www.womentranscend.com, and you can find a link to our Kickstarter campaign under the About Us tab. Our campaign runs through September 9th. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. You're listening to Women Transcend. I'm Jennifer Todd, and this is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they're able to overcome or transcend. Whether you are a friend of the pod or a new listener, we're glad you have found us. We bring Women Transcend to you each week. If you like the program, one thing you can do to support Women Transcend is tell one friend about us and how to find our show. We encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. This week, I'm excited to announce that Women Transcend has launched a Kickstarter campaign to allow us to produce season two with even more provocative and timely issues like cyberbullying, slacktivism, are you really making a difference? And Women in Comics, is Wonder Woman really that wonderful? You can find out more about our Kickstarter campaign on our website, which is www.womentranscend.com. And I would encourage you to check that out. And thank you if you do. So welcome, John. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Jennifer? Good. I'm just looking at the levels and wow, I must be really excited because I'm red all over the place. You're red all over the place. (laughs) You know, I know you know, but our listeners may not know that back 20 years ago, I was a classical radio announcer and I had not only a morning drive time shift, but also a late evening shift. And so I'm, I can't wait to see whether I'm going to be the morning radio DJ today or the late night about to pass out radio <laughs> DJ. Let's hope it's the first one. Yes, unless it's like crazy morning zoo. <laughs> well, it was a classical station. That would be interesting, though. <laughs> All right. So um, today we are going to be talking about sexualization of young girls and are our little girls getting too sexy the interview coming up i think is just fascinating i talk with sarah mernon whose work i have followed for years you had a little bit of a fangirl i did moment i think i, I definitely did so i'd done a little bit of research in this area and i know all her papers so um yeah it was 
a little fangirl uh, time for me to, to get to talk with her, but fascinating yeah. interview. So we're talking about our little girls getting too sexy, and specifically what we are narrowing in on is sexy dress. Mm-hmm. So do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, you know, the the main thing that this makes me think of is that it seems like it's a real perennial question. Um, you know, it, it seems like even back in the the 70s and 80s that they were talking about it then, and I'm sure they were talking about it back in the 50s and who knows, maybe back even before that. But certainly styles of dress are changing. They're constantly changing. Uh, and it always seems like they continually more and more kind of push that envelope. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that there probably time at Memorial has been this... Whatever the standards are, yeah. they're, they're going to push it. And, and you know, this push-pull, are you really going out dressed like that? Or mommy, I want... Or mom, I want this low-cut top or mm-hmm. whatever. Because um, everyone's wearing it. Yes. It, yeah. That's what's popular. That's what's cool. Or even they're going to make fun of me if I don't... If yeah. I wear what you want me to wear kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, of course, mom wants buttoned up to the neck and down to the... <laughs> and dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... and um loose trousers down to the floor and but what we're seeing is more and more to the extreme where things like thong underwear for not just teens but for you know tiny oh my you know four to six year olds push up bras for tiny kids and so it's sort of moved beyond the antagonism between parent and child you're not you need to dress more appropriately to go to school or or whatever. Yeah. We've we've sort of passed a new marker. And I think the reason that this is important for us to think about and discuss is because one little girls don't wear these clothes because they want to be sexy. Yeah. You know, we're talking about an age that doesn't really understand that concept. What they want is to gain favor from their peers and their classmates. And one way to do that, yeah, one way to gain sort of power is through looks. And I think it's, you know, right from a fairly early age, kids want to feel more grown up anyway. You know, I think part of what you're talking about is just part of this tendency or or urge to to feel more grown up, would you say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also the media is supporting that by dressing older models to look like sexy kids, which is is a very odd thing. It's, you know, it's the prototypical Lolita. Mm. You know, they're taking, and I won't name a specific celebrity, but they appear on girls' magazines, and this is particularly what I studied, magazines targeting very young girls. That's where I thought you might be going with this, sort of making these older, not older women, but, you know, still young women, but um, certainly not like teen and preteen women, making them appeal to these younger girls. Yes, but the way that they do that is by making these starlets who are in their 20s yeah. 
look like they're younger and sexy and it's it's a strange dichotomy but sort of like dressing them in you know the catholic schoolgirl outfit you know so that obviously is not for someone in their 20s right but the sexy schoolgirl outfit it's for the young girls is for the young girls yeah. exactly or they dress them with clothing with a character that is popular with the kids right so you know, there's very, very specific marketing. Some strategic thinking goes into yeah. exactly how to market sexiness. It's almost to, like a gateway kind of. Yeah, you're right. And and this is one of the things I studied is that you could track across ages and across magazines that target different ages this progression kind of. Mm -hmm. And I think the psychological term is is ladder development. So they, you know, they start with these magazines that are targeted to four to six year olds with, you know, the sexy Catholic schoolgirl uniform or not calling out Catholic schools, but that's kind of again the prototypical Lolita. And then they move to a little bit older looking clothes and a little bit older looking clothes, same model. Curiously. Oh, huh. But one thing that is very troubling about this trend is that what it signals is the self objectification by these girls. And by that, I mean that they are sort of being taught to think of themselves as objects of the male gaze or objects of others' desires. So they dress for others and not for themselves. Now, what do you mean? Can you unpack what it means to consider themselves objects of the male gaze? So this is a way that women can gain power is through the way that we dress. And unfortunately, you get attention if you dress provocatively and even young girls learn that if you dress a certain way, then you will get more attention. And they also see in the media, mm. oh, I like that show. I like that character. Wow, look how she's dressed. Maybe that's how I will start to dress. Maybe the next time I go shopping, I'll ask my mom if she'll let me get a skirt that short or a dress like that yeah. or high heels like that or do something. You, do you think some of it too is we tend to be drawn to, and by we, I mean kids at that age, drawn to people who are self-confident by putting on this, this armor, they feel like it's making them more self-confident because they're, they're emulating these people that seem to be self-confident. I'm not sure whether there's that much self-reflection but there might be the the feeling of confidence if you're wearing something that that your peers mm -hmm. consider cool. I mean, we we all have had the you know we all have our favorite outfit, and you know we we have a little extra spring in our step when we're wearing our outfit. And we feel like we're looking good. It seems like there's a little bit of that undercurrent there, but it's also being modeled by someone who seems to be sort of sassy and self-confident and being willing to kind of flaunt convention maybe and that by wearing those clothes that they see modeled 
by someone like that, they feel like, oh, again, I don't think it has to be a, an overt conscious thing, but it's just sort of, hey, I feel yeah. like I'm... Yeah, maybe, maybe so. I, um, I'm not sure. That's a good question, but um, which is which is maybe a little bit different than the the sexualizing aspect of it. But but then again, it's sort of you know it's hard to separate those. Yeah, I'm not sure that it is separate because whether you think it's sexy or not is self objectification. Yeah, and if you yeah, wear yeah. something because you think someone else will like it, yeah, and this is different than like you know adults and I'm going to dress up nice because it's That's you know it's true. A, it's a special day and I want to look nice for my husband. Yeah, um, this is like I want to look sexy because I want to be friends with this popular crowd yeah. or I want to catch someone's eye. I think it's more I want to blend in than yeah. I want to be unique. It's kind of a fake self-confidence. Yeah. It's, again, thinking... Or a superficial self-confidence, maybe. Yeah. And that is where it becomes self-objectification because you're not wearing something that you like. You're wearing because you like it and you feel good in it and it lets you you know, run and jump. And because we're talking about girls yeah, yeah. or young girls. So right. they should be in the mind frame that this lets me play on the playground and I have pockets so I can keep right. my rocks in <laughs> exactly. them and um, things like that. You never know when you're going to run across a, a really a good keeper, rock. A keeper. <laughs> uh, we hear those tumbling around in our dryer very often. Um, but they, they are wearing clothes not because they're comfortable and they allow them to be active. Mm -hmm. They wear clothes because they know that they will gain attention and then that makes them the object. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And then where this becomes dangerous is there's a lot of literature that indicates that self-objectification has some some serious side effects. It's not a good strategy in general. No. <laughs> it can lead to development of eating disorders, low self-esteem, and depression or depressed mood. And, you know, when you are talking about young girls who are preparing to go through this major life change into the preteens and teens, these are not issues that you want to introduce because these are going to be things that they're going to be struggling with anyway. That's a kind of negative spiral uh, has a lot of potential for becoming a negative spiral. It seems like if you, if you do this as a way to try to prop up your self-esteem, it could actually end up having the opposite effect. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And so as a parent, I think that this is an issue that is really hard to sort of, equip your child mm. to deal with and explain. I mean, how would you explain that? The other thing is most of the messaging is reaching them through media in every different channel available. So you can't yeah. put them in this bubble of safety. They're, yeah. they're going to be exposed to it. So you have to put on a Sort of an armor of a different kind, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Instead of wrapping them up in the sexy clothes, you wrap them up in, in knowledge. Yes. Uh huh. Or awareness, maybe. Yeah. And maybe self confidence that it doesn't matter what, you're, yeah. what you wear, 
You're awesome just the way you are. Yep. Well, thank you for joining me for this discussion, John. Hey, my pleasure. And coming up next, my fascinating discussion with Professor Sarah Mernon, who is a professor of psychology at Kenyon College. Welcome to Women Transcend, Sarah. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this discussion with you. I know that one of your areas of research interest is the sexualization of young girls, and I share that yes. interest. Yeah, so I'm really interested in having this discussion and, and diving into some of your papers that I know so well. Um, yeah, we started doing this research in the 90s. Um, I had a daughter who was young at that time, and there started to be very sexually objectified celebrities in the news. Um, and so we started looking into it in the late 1990s. Interesting. So how have you seen things change since the 90s? Well, I do think that was the beginning of this increase in sexualization. And we were part of the research study to document that there has been an increase. So one of my students, Caitlin Graff, and I looked at the increase in image, sexualized images in the magazine 17 across time, as well as the magazine Girl's Life, which was supposed to be you know, something different than a fashion magazine. And, and when they first started in the 90s, they weren't a fashion magazine. They didn't feature celebrities. But by the 2010 and so on, they definitely were showing sexualized images of girls. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of girls' clothing, I think that there's a, yes. a general feeling that the way that little girls dress today, it seems to be more provocative or maybe more suggestive than has been mm -hmm. in, you know, in the past. There seems to be more of a trend towards what might be considered sexy clothing for for little girls. Do you think yes. that this is true or you agree with that? Yes, and that's actually something we documented too in a study. We looked at uh, clothes for girls, preteen girls on the websites of national stores and found that almost 30% of them had sexualizing characteristics, which would be emphasizing or trying to create a sexualized body part. So a dress that's cut in such a way to make it look like the girl has, you know, breast development. Uh -huh. um, so yes, I, I do think that was happening. And I think in part it was, you know, during the 90s, uh, some stores uh, came about that were specifically for uh, girls like Abercrombie Kids. And in fact, that was the, the worst store in yeah. our group in terms of the number of sexualized clothing items. Uh -huh. So I think that, you know, tweens as a group became a new market group in part. But I think, of course, there are other reasons for the sexualization of girls. But yes, definitely an increase in sexualized clothing for girls. Uh-huh. And was there any change in, in clothing for boys concomitant to this change for girls? Well, there is an increased emphasis on the importance of appearance for boys. I mean, it's not to the same degree as girls. But in our re one of our recent studies, we looked at Halloween costumes and you see an emphasis on stereotyping for boys, too, to a greater degree than used to be true in the past. So maybe an emphasis on hypermasculinity, which in part uh, is an emphasis on muscularity. And something that has occurred in the last couple of years with boys' Halloween costumes, which I don't think I've ever seen before, is that there is a specific muscular version of many of the costumes. So you can be sort of the regular Spider-Man or you can be the Spider-Man that has, you know, muscles sewn into the costume. Uh-huh. So I do think there's an increased emphasis on 
hyper-masculinity that goes along with this hyper-femininity. Yeah. A, a re-emphasis these very traditional roles and, in in, I think, um, an emphasis on using appearance to sort of enact these roles. That's fascinating. It's sort of similar to how we have a nurse costume or the sexy nurse yes. costume. Yes. And then we have yes. the Spider-Man costume or the muscular Spider-Man costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that it seems like that's a fairly recent... Um, yes, phenomenon. the last several years, I would say. Uh huh. So, why should this concern us, especially the little girls dressing maybe a little bit more provocatively? Well, I think an emphasis on appearance for girls, period, is not healthy. Having them focus so much on appearance that you know they use that as their self definition, we know is not healthy. That it leads girls to be preoccupied with their appearance and feel dissatisfied when they compare themselves to these cultural models that are very unrealistic. But then to add along with that, the sexualized appearance, the fear is that they will be stereotyped and treated as only sexual objects and not valued for other aspects of their being, their yeah, exactly. their accomplishments, et cetera. Yeah. And maybe they will come to internalize this, you know, sexual objectification and only use that to value themselves. Yeah, because I think there's some good research that shows that we assign value to a person based on how that person, girl, woman, man, boy, is dressed. Right. Well, we actually did do a study where we had a fifth grade girl that people responded to. And in one condition, she's dressed in sexualized clothing. In another condition, she's dressed in childlike clothing. And we got the images off the internet. We didn't make anyone dress that way. Um, But... What we found was that that our students who viewed the image of the sexualized girl rated her as less moral, less intelligent, less competent than those who saw the childlike girl. So that's similar to the research with adult women. But we were a little surprised to find that they were judging this fifth grade girl so harshly. And after they completed the study, we revealed our hypotheses and asked them what they thought. And they were pretty conscious of judging her on the basis of her clothes. Yeah, that's, we included some of their comments in our paper. Uh-huh, in that's fact, just, that surprised us. Uh-huh, yeah, I bet. So it could be argued that dressing young girls suggestively is contributing to the sexual objectification of a young girl. And, and yes. what, why is that dangerous, in your opinion? Well, I think it can be dangerous to the girl's identity, I think it can also be dangerous for other people looking at this girl and maybe assuming that she is more sexual than she is. Like, I don't think the girls are thinking about this clothing as sexy. I think, you know, they think it's popular and it's cool. It's what they see on older girls and women. And so they want to wear it. I mean, there was a study that Christine Starr did about sexualized dolls and you know, the girls thought that the sexualized dolls would be more popular than the non-sexualized ones. Um, and they would they chose them for themselves as well. But I don't think it's because they are sexy. I think it's they're made to seem appealing. Uh huh. Yeah. Now you had mentioned in some of your research that this sexualization is showing up in the in kids' toys and in girls' toys yes. as well, right? And so right. some of the the dolls that were being marketed to girls were showing some of these provocative 
traits. So, yes, you know, the, the American Psych Association had a task force on the issue of the sexualization of girls um, that issued a report in 2007, and they were concerned about the Bratz dolls. Uh-huh. Well, there is something even more sexualizing than Bratz dolls, and that are that's the Monster High dolls. Yes. Um, yeah, <laughs> that look almost like prostitutes. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And they're very popular. Yeah, they dolls. are. Now, on the other hand, I will say that, you know, Barbie last year came out with dolls with varying body sizes and uh-huh. shapes. Um, I think, you know, there are doll companies that are trying to be a little bit more responsible. Back, yeah. Probably just to sell more dolls. Yeah. Still, yeah. <laughs> it is good to have some variety. I haven't yet seen a, a Barbie doll in fishnets like Monster High, but um, yeah. you never know. Okay, so uh, this is an, uh, a discussion that I've gotten into with some of my feminist friends. Mm-hmm. So traditional feminist theorists might say that there's nothing wrong with girls showing their sexuality, we're sexual beings. So if they, if they express it in childhood or in adolescence, it's healthy and we shouldn't, there's nothing wrong with it and we shouldn't shame them for that. What do you think of that argument? Well, I don't think that wearing sexualized clothing in for girls is authentic self-expression that represents them valuing their bodies and their sexuality. I think, you know, they're being encouraged to do this and then they're being perhaps being stereotyped for doing this. I mean, if it if there was research to show that this really helped them feel better in terms of their sexual development, that would be different. But instead, I think it increases their self-objectification and their concern about their appearance to a very unhealthy degree, which does not lead to better sexual functioning. Now, adult women, you know, they might feel more in control when they're wearing sexualized clothing. And, you know, uh-huh. they're adults. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's a different situation. But I also think as a culture, we're kind of telling women that this is their source of power and we're saying we don't need other ways to increase women's status, which is just not true. I mean, yeah. we still have a wage gap. We still have occupational sex segregation. We still have violence against women. Uh-huh. So I think that I think this has been sold to women as a form of power that's not a true sense of power. Wow, that is a really very powerful thought. Uh, I hate to use power too many times yeah. there, but... Yeah. but um, so what signals might a young girl be giving unwittingly when she chooses, you know, to wear the the low cut top, you know, that's nipped in at the sides that accentuates her breast buds or her behind if there's writing on her behind. What um yeah. what signals might she be giving to her peers by dressing that way? Well, I guess I would like to focus more on the culture in that question yeah. and say, why does our culture want to put young girls in sexualized clothing? They should be wearing functional clothing that allows them to go outside and run around and use their body in functional ways and not be a focus of somebody else's, you know, sick obsession. Uh So I really feel like it's a cultural responsibility to not put girls in this sexualized position. Because if you make this seem attractive and you market all this stuff to girls, I mean, they're going to want it. And, you know, they're insecure and Clothing seems like a good way, I think, to give yourself a sense of security. It's at least something you can do. You know, you might not know how to, like, go out and change the world, but you can maybe figure out how to make yourself 
look like you're more in style. Yeah. So I just wish that we weren't pushing all this on girls. Yeah, especially so young. Um, yeah. Great. Do you, do you feel like we've covered everything? Yeah, I guess I wanted to, uh, I mean, one thing to mention is that after focusing on the sexualization of girls for a while, I really did think it was important to also look at what was happening with boys. Um, because I think that we don't examine the male gender role enough and how that gender role helps perpetuate this issue. Because while we're encouraging girls to be sexual objects, we still are encouraging boys to treat girls as sexual objects. Yes. So I think that looking at both of those roles together is important. Uh And just the extent to which we're encouraging boys and girls of young ages, for example, when you look at what's portrayed in the media, to see one another only in terms of, you know, possible sexual relationships with one another, I think is unfortunate. Yes. I do just wish we could let kids be kids, let them realize their own self-worth and not have it be so wrapped up in appearance Uh for either boys or girls. Yes. Excellent. Or Um, stereotypes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Women Transcend, Sarah. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I've enjoyed speaking with you. Your research is fascinating, and I can't wait to read your next paper. Well, great. Thank you. This episode's Woman in the Spotlight is Emma Watson. You might know her for her eponymous role as Hermione Granger in the Harry Potter franchise. Who didn't love Hermione Granger? Emma Watson has taken on the role of United Nations Women Goodwill Ambassador. As part of this role, she agreed to address the UN and launched the He for She initiative which aims to involve men and boys in the fight for gender equality. In that speech, she said, Today we are launching a campaign called He for She, which endeavors to end gender inequality. I started questioning gender-based assumptions when at eight, I was confused at being called bossy because I wanted to direct the plays we would put on for our parents, but the boys were not called bossy. When at 14, I started being sexualized by certain elements of the press. When at 15, my girlfriends started dropping out of their sports teams because they didn't want to appear muscly. End of her quote. So Emma Watson is this episode's woman in the spotlight for many reasons, but in particular because she had the courage to use her celebrity voice to draw attention to the issue of sexualizing young girls. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. Be sure to leave a review for us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. This will help raise our profile and make it easier for others to find us as well. If you like a particular episode, it's easy to share through Twitter or Facebook right from your podcast player. A big thanks to Sarah Mernon for speaking with me for today's episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. 
tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook because we always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. 